Well, good morning, Deer Creek. Uh, my name is Aaron Ellis. I'm the worship director here. And isn't it awesome to have Billy here filling in? I'm thankful for him. Thank you, Billy. Uh, what you don't know, if you showed up a little late this morning, I'm not trying to make you feel bad or anything, but I am. Uh, Billy actually is my brother-in-law. He's on staff. He's the executive pastor over at Waterstone. And so um, we're kind of competing this morning with Waterstone. That's, that's what's going on here. Uh, actually, Billy is, is part of the reason why uh, I got into worship ministry to begin with, because I saw him growing up and I saw he, he's, he's, I don't want to say his age, but he, he is older than me. Uh, so he had a chance to go ahead of me, and I, I saw that, and, and um, he was somebody who spoke into my life and, and affirmed gifts in me, and so I'm super thankful for him. And so, so anyways, that, that's where we're at this morning. It's good. So I'm preaching. So if you missed the first part again, I, I'm, I'm, that's what I said at the beginning. He's leading because I'm preaching. So, uh, but before we uh, get into this, let's move this out of the way. Before we get into the message this morning, uh, I need to let you guys know of a couple things. So uh, next Sunday, so Dwayne got it wrong, I realized, uh, last week, but uh, next Sunday is the, is the clothing drive that we have with our ministry partner called Love, Inc. And what's going to happen is they're going to be here with a truck ready to receive new or gently used clothing. So that's what's going on next week. If you brought something this week, I, I think maybe Dwayne or Daniel was able to uh, direct you in the right direction. And, and so I, I'm not going to worry too much about that. But um, they'll, they'll be here next week. So come prepared in church. We're going to bless our community um, as a church here next week. So that's July 11th. So this morning, this morning we are going to be taking a look at Psalm 100. And, and as myself, as the one here at Deer Creek who week after week prepares and, and helps plan and, and helps bring about the, 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 this and facilitate this moment here of worship, I just wanted to take a moment and tell you guys that I love worshiping with you. I really do. It is a blessing. It is an honor. And even this morning, just, just sitting out here, I don't, I don't always get to hear all of you, but I love it. I love the opportunities where I get to sit with you and worship. And, and to, but, but here's something I want to, to make sure to make clear is I don't myself, I, I don't see myself as a worship leader who stands outside of the worship of the church. Uh -uh. Even when we're up here, the worship team, we talk about this all the time, that we are participating in worship. We are participating in worship along with you. This is, not a, this is not a time where we get to get up here and, and look really cool in front of you guys and, and you know, play our awesome instruments and do it really well. That's not what it is. We are participating. But so as we look out, often we get the opportunity, I get the opportunity to see your faces week in and week out. I get to see the smiling faces. I get to see the faces that kind of have a little bit of a grimace on them, right? Some of you have your hands in your pocket during the music. Some of you have your hands in the air. Some of you have one hand in your pocket, one hand in the air. I'm not sure what that's communicating. Some of you have your hand on your, holding your coffee and the other hand in the air, right? Or, or th this is a scary one, you have the really expressive guy with his scolding hot coffee with both hands in the air, and he's just like, this is great! And you're the neighbor saying, I can't stand this. This guy's going to spill his coffee on me, right? I've had the chance here at Deer Creek to see people visit for the first time and come here as skeptics. But then I've had the opportunity to watch them grow. And then I start seeing them sing and engage in worship. Because now all of a sudden, they believe this message of the gospel that we proclaim week in and week out and that we sing about and celebrate. And so something I would love to continue to see here here at Deer Creek, 
is I would love to see us grow and continue to grow in our appreciation for what happens here when we gather on Sunday morning. I would love for us to long for this day, right? To long for this day during the week where we come together on Sundays. And I know it's not just a hop, jump, and a skip away. I know that. Here's the thing. It is a lifelong journey that we are on learning to sing the praise of our God simply because... God is so great and he is so magnificent and his gospel is so incredible that we could never plumb the depths of his greatness and the depths of his love for us, which is what we gather to be reminded of. So I do think that Psalm 100 has something to teach us about what our actions and then what our attitudes should be when we worship. And, and it also gives us explanations about why we should worship with the actions and attitudes that are mentioned. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Psalm 100. It's a really popular chapter of the Psalms. And uh, so that's Psalm 100. And I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this passage in its entirety. So I want you to hear these words. Listen to these words of Scripture. It says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's pause for a moment and let's pray that God would allow us to understand his words to us this morning. Our Father, we say thank you. We're thankful that you desire for us, your children, your people, to be gathered and to be in your presence. We pray together that the eyes of our hearts would be opened that we would be granted understanding and that we would see Jesus, your son, more clearly by the power and by the presence of your Holy Spirit. Change us this morning and stir our affections so that we would be thankful and that we would be glad in you as we are reminded of what you have done for us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a teenager... I learned my lesson about falling asleep in church. And it wasn't because I had fear of my parents. No, here, here's what happened. When the church that I grew up in, the, the youth group would actually often, uh, more in this section, the, the youth group would all sit together during one of the services. And then surrounding the youth group was all their parents. So we had to be really careful on how we occupied ourselves and entertained ourselves, right? So here I am, a young teenager, sitting with my friends, Right? But here, here's the thing. It wasn't the fear of parents that kept me from falling asleep. It was the fear of my neighbor. Because you know what we did when someone fell asleep in our midst? We drew all over their face. And we tried to get away with it without them waking up. So, you wouldn't believe this, I fell asleep once. Sitting next to my peers who I can't even trust and I should know better, but here we go, I fall asleep and I wake up, and I kid you not, they had drawn devil horns on my forehead 
given me a mustache. They made me look like, like the, the, the pictures that you see of, of what we maybe identify as Lucifer, right, of Satan. So here I am with this ugly face, right? And I kid you not, I went like this for about 15 minutes after the service. Service is dismissed, and I'm just carrying on. I'm like, oh, oh okay, I'm awake. All right, here we go. I'm moving on. And, and I, I, nobody said anything. Nobody said anything. They probably just thought, oh, my goodness, there's Aaron again, which is super weird. And then here I am. I go to the lobby, and I'm getting some donuts, right? I'm making myself some hot chocolate. And then here comes my mom from across the room. She gives me the look. You know what look I'm talking about. <laughs> the look that stirs guilt in the depths of your soul. And you don't even know what you did. And so you start listing all the things. Did, did I forget to clean my room? Did I, uh, did, I, did I leave my sister at school again? I don't know. What's going on here? So confused. And, and so she comes up to me and she, she looks me right in the face and she says, you look ridiculous. Go wash your face. And I'm super confused. I was the kind of guy who took care of my face. I washed my face. So I'm looking at my mom and I'm saying, Mom, what is wrong? So I said, okay, yes, ma'am. So I go to, the, go to the bathroom and there it is. Devil horns all over my face. And that's the lesson I learned. And the reason, the reason I felt the need to keep myself occupied or even, even having the opportunity to fall asleep is because I was trapped in thinking, and we often find ourselves in this, right? I know who the sleepers are this morning. By the way, hey, if, if your neighbor falls asleep, go ahead and draw all over their face. <laughs> if you get one thing from this sermon, that's it. So I was trapped into thinking that Sunday mornings and what we did on Sunday mornings was super boring and had nothing to do with my life or for me, had nothing for me. And I grew up in a Pentecostal church, so you knew something was wrong with me. You can't, you, it's really hard to fall asleep in, in a Pentecostal church, right? You hear people say, amen, oh yeah, hey, 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 praise the Lord, praise the Lord, in the middle of the sermon. This is great, right? Stuff that we probably would never see here. I don't know. You see, we, we have a tendency to see what we do on Sunday mornings as something that is supposed to entertain us. And if it doesn't entertain us, well, we better go find something that will, or we should just fall asleep. You see, the psalmist in this chapter, he pushes back on the idea of being a passive spectator in gathered worship, because indeed, that's often what bores us. I'm not saying it's the only thing, but we can find ourselves bored because we find ourselves as just simply showing up to watch something take place as though we're showing up to a game, a football game or a baseball game to watch people perform. It isn't the only scripture in the Bible, Psalm 100, that pushes back on this idea, but, but it happens to be one that we're going to be focusing on this morning. So this psalm is called the Psalm of Thanksgiving, and it shows us what our proper attitudes and actions should be when we gather. And then it gives us explanations about why we should have those actions and attitudes. So here's what I want us to do. Let's start with the seven actions, because there are seven actions that are listed here. And, and perhaps reflecting on these actions, uh, they might help us to be more awake and engaged during worship. I don't know. Maybe I'll hear some more amens by the end of the service. I don't know. <laughs> Verse 1. 
Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Wow. What a way to start out a psalm. Right? This is about thankfulness in worship. And this is how he wants us to start out. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. This is the first action we are called to. Some of you in here uh, might start to feel a little uncomfortable. Okay? Because you might think that, uh uh-oh, is he going to start asking us to raise our hands and stuff? I know what it's like to be a Presbyterian. Okay? I do. Okay? But no, no, no. We're not going that far. But, But it does say, make a joyful noise to the Lord. We joke about this phrase being something that comforts the tone deaf. But you know what? This isn't what that phrase actually means. It's not what it's getting at. But that's still a funny joke, though. This is an image of homage that's paid to a king or queen as they pass through the midst of the people. They shout with fanfare to the king and queen as they pass through the midst of the people, welcoming them and cheering for them. And dare I mention on our nation's birthday today that in Great Britain they still do this kind of stuff? They still welcome the king or the queen, the queen. They still welcome her with fanfare and shouting and excitement and joy. You might be thinking, yeah, I can never do this. Not me. Well, sure you can. Because most of you do. Because when you're at the Rockies game and Charlie Blackman, he cracks a home run. What do you do? You stand and you shout and you go nuts. And you're high-fiving your neighbors. You do it for Chuck Nasty. But this psalm says, make a joyful noise to who? To the Lord. To the God who created the heavens and the earth, to God who created you, make a joyful noise to him as the king who is among us. And take a look at who is invited to make this joyful noise. It isn't just the nation of Israel. The psalm expands the invitation to worship God to all the earth. So everyone, everywhere around the world, shout out to God for he is king. This indeed is a psalm that is evangelistic. It doesn't just have one particular, the, the, the boundaries are not just meant for one particular people. It's meant to expand those boundaries of who the people of God are meant to expand and to grow, to include the entire earth. So church, when we do so, people can come to know Christ as they see us worship and they're called into the praise of our glorious King. Verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. This is precisely, look at the word serve. This is precisely, precisely why we call this a worship service. Because it is us coming together to serve God who deserves our praise and our honor. So another way we serve the Lord is by, I don't know, maybe serving in the, as the coffee bar. Serving up coffee, maybe serving in children's ministry or even up here on the, on the platform as, as the worship team. Those are other ways that we serve one another. So you can serve God by serving one another. All these things are acts of worship. The next part of verse 2 says, come into his presence with singing. We've already done this this morning. Come into his presence with singing. And so I can, I can see, right, 
how singing can be awkward. Okay, I can see that. But, but listen to this word first. It says come. We the church believe that God is present, right? So come into his presence. Okay, we believe that God is present with us in our worship. This isn't something that we conjure up by any action or on our part. It isn't simply, it isn't, it isn't anything that we can dance for, right? We don't, we don't say, come on, God, we want your presence. So we're going to do this in order to bring it. That's not what it is. What it is is simply us clinging to a promise that God has given to us that he will indeed be present with us when we worship together as the gathered church. And this happens regardless of how we feel. So we can get caught in the trap of thinking, oh, you know what? This morning, I just didn't feel the presence of God. Something was off. The Holy Spirit did not show up this morning. Or we can get trapped on the other side. Wow, the Holy Spirit really showed up. I felt it. No, this isn't, this, this, this presence of God that the scripture is talking about is not a subjective feeling. It is an objective belief that we have, that we believe that indeed God is present with us. And he says, come into his presence with singing. So, as I said earlier, this is a little strange. I get this. And this is because there aren't a lot of environments in this day where people show up and just expect to sing. If you are new to church, then no doubt this is something you immediately noticed. You noticed, especially this morning, really proud of you guys, that these people sing. And we do. Week in and week out. So Deer Creek, continue to sing. And sing loudly. The practice of singing in our society has actually, in, in different times, has gone in style and out of style, in style, out of style, all around the world. That's, that's a thing. It can, it can be kind of a trend or, or things that we, that we pick, on, that, that pick up on that we, that we can feel out, that kind of thing. But, but church, we cannot let the practice of singing go out of style among us because it is an imperative. It is a command of Scripture for us to sing. Verse 3 says, know that the Lord, he is God. This is what we do together when we gather and when we listen to someone preach to us. So we are learning about God. You cannot worship a God you do not know. You must know him. And you must know how amazing it is that he invites us to know him intimately through the preaching of the Bible. We often call the Bible the Word of God. And that it is. It is the Word of God. So if you want to know God, if you want to hear from God, don't go hide under a tree in nature. No. One thing, you could read your Bible on your own. But more importantly, and really, I mean this more importantly because this is commanded in Scripture. Show up here on Sunday mornings and hear the word of God preached to you. We do this. Dwayne jokes about this all the time. We're here every Sunday, same time, same place. And we're doing pretty much the same thing every Sunday. So come here. 
Because we have preachers who unravel and, and, and show us the scripture and point us to Christ and show us and how the passage of scripture that we look at, how it relates to the whole of scripture and how, how we can understand each word to be something that points us to Jesus, who is the Son of God. Okay, so if you're looking at your Bibles, you'll see verse 3. And I actually want us to skip this, this second half of verse 3 because we're going to come back to it because I want us to focus on these actions. So take a look at verse 4. Enter. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. This verse is describing different areas that were just outside of the temple where the Israelites gathered to worship. So the gates where the Israelites, that's where the Israelites entered and the courts were where they stood and sang and, and heard the law of God read to them. So it says, come, enter. Come together and worship. So the significance for us is, is about the gates and the courts. It's just simply describing a place. It's, it's describing that they went somewhere, right? As I alluded to, this psalm is not about your personal worship, which is important. But this psalm is about gathered worship, where you get in your car today and you go. Maybe they got in their chariots. I don't know. Whatever they, they, however they got around. They got together and they went to the temple to worship together. So for us, this could look like walk through the doors, come through the lobby with thanksgiving, come in this very room ready to sing praise to God. The next part of verse four says this, give thanks to him. Not much to say about that. You guys know what that means. Thank him. We do this in singing. We do this in praying. We do this after we confess our sins. We, we, we express that we are thankful that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And the next part of verse 4 says, Bless His name. What does this mean? Bless His name. Psalm 103 starts out like this. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. He goes on, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity. And he goes on and, and he lists all the great things of which he says, I bless the Lord. When we say bless the Lord, we do not mean that we have something within us that we are giving to him to make him greater. We are simply acknowledging that since he is the giver of everything we are blessed by, then he himself must be blessed. He possesses all the blessing. It's kind of like when I see someone roll up in the newest Mercedes Benz, right? I say, that person's blessed. Now, me saying that does not actually contribute anything to that person's life, not whatsoever. It's just me acknowledging that person's blessed. He has it. He has the blessing. John Piper says this, to bless God means to recognize his great riches, his strength and gracious bounty and to express our gratitude and delight in, in seeing and experiencing it. That's what we mean when we say, bless the Lord. We're acknowledging that he is the giver of all good gifts. He himself is blessed. So there you go. There's the seven actions that the psalm gives us. 
He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence. Know that the Lord is God. Enter his gates. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Seven actions. All of these actions that are mentioned are accompanied by an attitude. This attitude is gladness and thankfulness. Notice all the exclamation points our English translation adds to the psalm in order to stress the excitement around what we do when we gather. They stress gladness. Well, do you think that the people of Israel who were hearing this call had their entire lives all figured out and functioning according to their comfortable desires? I don't think so. They, like us, were dealing with pressures of their day. The crop needs to grow in order to provide. They asked questions like, will we get enough rain this season? Their kids were breaking down on the way to the temple, throwing fits, kicking and screaming. Maybe, uh, maybe in their chariot, I don't know. Maybe as they walked. The three-year-old won't keep his sandals on. The 12, almost 13-year-old is talking back to mom again. Or maybe I'm describing my own life. I don't know. <laughs> the death of loved ones. They experienced that. They faced everything that would steal their gladness. And the Israelites entered the courts where, where they stood and sang and heard the law of God read to them. They did this. And they did it with gratitude because they heard the call of God go out. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Don't think that the psalmist is overlooking the depths of true sorrow. Not for a moment. This psalmist is not calling you to fake happy, clappy, slap a smile on your face and pretend to be glad kind of worship. No, the people of Israel knew true sorrow as we do today. We know this because the Psalms cover an array of moods and emotions from sorrow to joy and everything in between, including, including annoyance. You know that? The Psalm even includes annoyance. So has God prospered you in your work? Give thanks to him. For he is good and generous. Have you been struggling to make ends meet? Has he given you days of troublesome trials and sorrows? You haven't reached the place that you expected to be to in your life, financially perhaps. Maybe you've had some friends or family members pass away. Maybe you yourself have received a grim diagnosis. Your kids don't behave the way you want them to. Come here on Sunday mornings in the midst of all of that. And come here with an attitude of gladness and thanksgiving, for he knows what is best for you. God is wise and gracious, even in allowing such difficult circumstances. Now, the author of this psalm is unknown. So I actually can't with good conscience say that David wrote it, because we don't know. Nobody knows. However, 
David did write many psalms, and many of them have similar themes and even similar wording to Psalm 100. There's other psalms that that sound almost exactly like this in, in some areas, that use the exact same wording. And so David tells us numerous times in other psalms to shout and to make a joyful noise to the Lord in worship. He also says numerous times to be glad in him. David himself says in Psalm 31, verse 7, that he will rejoice and be glad. That's what David says. He's going to rejoice and be glad in the steadfast love of the Lord. Let me tell you what was going on when David wrote the words of Psalm 31. He was running for his life from the reigning king, Saul, who was chasing him down in a jealous rage because the prophet Samuel had declared that David, not Saul, that David was going to take over the throne and be the next king. Saul was someone David worked for. David served Saul. David loved Saul and his family dearly for many years. And now Saul and his army of 3,000 men were after David looking to kill him. David was hiding in caves. He was dodging main roads in order to try to survive. Do you think David had every reason to worry about whether he and his men had enough to eat that night? You bet. Do you think David was depressed and had a broken heart over these circumstances? Of course he was depressed. Of course he was brokenhearted. The call to come into his presence with the attitude of gladness and thankfulness is not, it is not contingent upon our circumstances. That is why David can go on to say in the rest of Psalm 31, verse 7, the rest of the verse says this, because you have seen my affliction, you have known the distress of my soul. David's describing his circumstances. He is afflicted and his soul is distressed. Yet he says, he will rejoice and be glad. This is difficult to do. But this psalm doesn't just leave us with these actions. Because if the psalmist left us just with these actions, it would crush us. Because we know that, that under our own circumstances, we would fail at this all the time. We would fail as we confessed earlier when we confessed our sins. We confessed that God, you call us to these great things and to enter into your presence with these attitudes and these actions, but we fail to do it. And we often fail to do it because we can't see past our own circumstances to see the goodness of God. That's why the psalmist gives us reasons that are outside of ourselves for why we should enter in with gladness and thanksgiving. The psalmist reminds us of who God is and the covenant that he made with his people to be their God and to redeem them and reminds them of his steadfast love for them. And so let's go back and let's take a look at verse 3 and let's look at verse 5. Psalm 100, verse 3 and 5 says, 
It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Verse 5 says, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Although God is indeed the creator of all things, including each individual, that's not what this verse is is getting at in verse 3. It's not talking about just generally the creation of humankind. No, it is speaking of a special, intimate relationship that is based on a covenant he, God, sovereignly made with a people he called and redeemed. This covenant has nothing to do with the people's faithfulness to him. Dwayne just last week finished up a sermon series where he preached through the first five books of the Old Testament. And each week we were reminded of this fact because not a single person mentioned in those five books listed an outstanding life uh, before God. So none of them are great heroes of faithfulness. But let me tell you who is the great hero of faithfulness. God is. And verse 5 is language that, that is reminding us of that when it says that his steadfast love endures forever. His love is unchanging. It is toward us, not because we are faithful, but because he is faithful to his promise to be our God and to redeem us. We see his steadfast love and his faithfulness displayed in the life and in the death and the resurrection of Jesus who came to live the faithful life for us on our behalf. And then, and then he died the death that we deserve to die because of our lack of faithfulness. He paid the penalty for the lack of our faithfulness. He knows our failures. He knows the reasons we don't want to make a joyful noise before him. He knows why why we don't desire to sing with gladness before him. He knows those things. He knows the depths of our sin. He knows our lack of faithfulness in worship. You see, Psalm 100 isn't the only place we see the shepherd metaphor mentioned. It is a theme that runs through many of David's writings because David himself was a shepherd and he understood the difficult work of keeping dumb sheep in line so that they wouldn't wander off and get eaten by another animal. David refers to the Lord as his shepherd. And he does this most famously in Psalm 23. Many of you are are very familiar with this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he says. Jesus in the New Testament, get this, makes the claim to be the good shepherd. Jesus makes the claim that the shepherd that we talk about in this psalm is him. He tells us that he is the good shepherd and he is the demonstration of God's faithfulness. And he is the demonstration of God's steadfast love when he says this, listen to this, the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. What has the good shepherd done for his sheep, church? He laid down his life for us. That's what he did. There's also psalms that were written in the New Testament, by the way. A psalm is just a song. That's what it is. So in the New Testament, we see songs written in 
penned by the Apostle Paul, or we even get a glimpse of what the church was actually singing in the New Testament. And one that came to mind um, as, as I was thinking about this is, is one that was penned in, in the book of 2 Timothy in the New Testament. It says this, this is the New Church of, this is the New Testament church. This is what, these are words that they sang. It says this, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Church, this is the very reason we make a joyful noise. This is why we serve the Lord with gladness, why we come into his presence with singing, why we enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise, because we have, are a people who have been redeemed by the good shepherd who is good and whose steadfast love endures forever.